Tonight we will look at Proverbs chapter 20. So please turn there in your Bibles with me. This part of Proverbs is the collection of, of sayings. And so they do um, thematically bounce around to different themes and ideas. But the wisdom is all there. It's, uh, Proverbs is something that has blessed me as a devotion just like Psalms does. Um, and Proverbs is one of those books where you know a few verses by memory. Um, and you may know chapters by topic, like uh, chapter uh, 15, or, um, dealing with speech and so forth. Is it 15 or is it 16? It's 15. It deals with our speech. It begins with a soft answer, turns away wrath. Um, but Proverbs touches on a number of themes for just daily living. Today we're going to look at a few of those themes that are touched on in this chapter. Let me just kind of go through some of those themes that I've found. This won't be all of them, but be a few. Be self-control, um, God's counsel, God's sovereignty, our own integrity, um, dis uh, and honesty throw in deceit and dishonesty as opposites there, and then righteous, right, righteous leadership. And righteous, I can't even say it, righteous leadership um, is applicable in so many different ways. If you're a parent, you'll need righteous leadership. Um, if you have a role in your family to lead the family, then you'll need to understand righteous leadership. If you're in a position of authority on your job, um, you certainly will need that. But just dealing with your friends and, and having an influence or impact on them, you will need to understand some principles of righteous leadership. So let's take a look at some of these themes. Under self-control, we'll read verse 1, 2, and 3. So let me just read those, and you can follow along with me. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeit, forfeits his life. It is an honor for a man to keep aloft from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Well, those three verses touch on a couple different things. The first verse talks about self-control in what we put in our bodies. Um, here it talks specifically about alcohol um, the application can be made to any strong drugs. Nowadays, we have strong, we have prescription drugs that um, are stronger than alcohol. But the idea is the same. Um, be careful what you take into your body and don't allow it to have control over you or you be subject to it or you grow addicted to it, um, influenced by it. Strong drink is a brawler. It causes us to, to um, I shouldn't say cause. It gives us freedoms and takes away our filter where we would have self-control in, in other areas, in, in other times without it. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. In this season, um, drinking is an issue. Uh, it's a big issue. Just last week, I was laying in my bed. I don't know if this had to do with drinking, but it definitely had to do with self-control. 
I was laying in my bed, and all of a sudden, Donna and I heard a, a big bang. Like, what is that? I don't know what that was. We just went back to sleep. The next morning, our neighbor called and said there was a car doing donuts <laughs> on our street. And that car jumped the curb, hit our front rail, broke it, kept going, went back on the street, and kept going. Um, how do I know what it had to do with self-control? Well, <laughs> I just kind of guess. Um, that person was, was uh, certainly didn't act in a responsible manner because I didn't get a note on my house saying, oh, I'm sorry about your railing, uh, we'll fix it. <laughs> no such thing. Um, but in this day, I mean, we're almost afraid to have watch night service because on the way home, you're, you're wondering, you know, how much, how much do I have to be careful about? And we do have to be careful. Uh, but it's a, it's a warning to us. It doesn't say that we should never or could never drink any alcoholic beverage it says you need to be very careful. And the other passages of the scriptures warn us not to be drunk under the influence of anything. Um, and it's just a common warning. Um, I like what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. In other words, Ecclesiastes will say there's nothing new under the sun. This is old stuff. It's been around um, Noah, I don't know if he's the first one in scripture said to be that way, but he, he drank too much and got drunk and, and dishonored himself in the process. We have to be careful and uh, uh, of honoring God in all that we do and not putting ourselves in a way that we are um, no longer subject to our own control. Verse 2 talks about the terror of a king is like a growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. Basically what that's saying is respect authority. Respect authority because they, they have power over you. So uh, I, I watch um, different YouTube videos and I'm always seeing some police encounter with some foolish person who just goes way too far. And it's like they have no respect for the authority over them and they, they act in that way. Um, and this is saying, look, the authority is there in Romans chapter 13, it says the, uh, the government yields the sword not in vain. In other words, it has power even over life and, and death, and we need to respect that. Even if we think they're wrong, well, we need to, to respect that. Uh, verse 3 deals with, um, it is an honor for a man to keep aloft from strife. What is that saying? Uh, you know, I deal in, 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 in school, and you... To some folks, you just want to say, you have to learn how to shut up. You talk too much. You instigate other people. You draw them into conflict. You don't know when to, to step away from a conflict because you can see the temperature is rising. Step away. Get away from the strife. It is an honor for a man to keep aloft from strife. But every fool will be quarreling, to just basically looking for the argument, right? Um, don't look for argument. I have to remember that when I, when I get into um, um, road rage incidents. It's people cut you off and, and you want to say something to them. Remember that. Every fool will be quarreling. There's, there's, there's times to hold back and to um, be under God's control. A couple other things that are dealt with here 
Uh, let, me, let me talk about righteous leadership. Um, um, verse 2 deals with that as well. We read that one already. Look at verse 8. A king who sits on, a, on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Let me go to another verse and then come back and explain that one. Uh, verse 26. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. What is he talking about? Let's look at the first verse, uh, verse 8. <clears throat> a king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Um, it's saying the king's authority um, by his, sometimes even by his stare, he can stare down and stop an incident. You ever, you ever see wise people? I've seen, I've seen uh, parents do it. I've seen uh, older, respected people who know how to turn a situation down just by their look. My dad used to do it when I was a kid. Um, he was an assistant pastor, and so in that day, he sat on the pulpit along the row of pastors there, and I'd be sitting there. I'd be like seven years old, dwindling and doing something stupid, and he would look at me, and sometimes, if, if that look wasn't enough, he would just clear his throat. Nobody else in the church knew, me, mom knew. <clears throat> and he always had that phlegm in his throat where he was clearing his throat. But he would catch me, and I, I would look, and uh, he'd just look at me like, you keep doing that if you want to. <laughs> There's going to be some consequences. <laughs> he would winnow away evil with his eyes. Um, that says a lot, though. It says that we, when we have a position of authority, we need to use it for right and for, for good. A king can actually do that. Um, just sometimes like, it's like just a look, just a nod, like, man, you don't want to do that. And keep things in line that way. Sometimes, and here's the other side of that, there's steps that he could take, minimal steps that he could take, that he doesn't take and let trouble go on. Um, yeah. Um, so when we have that authority and we can set some things in order, we should do it in a responsible way. And the king is wise to do that. He doesn't have to, you know, he had not come out swinging with a sword, but he can set some things in order. In other words, get it before it really gets bad. And put things under control before they go too far. All right, let's go on to a few other things under righteous parenting. Uh, verse 28. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. Um, if I can substitute the word steadfast for faithful, faithfulness. Um, Faithfulness is, is the key, um, is one of the keys. I know in our church relationship, so many of you here tonight are just faithful, serving God. And faithfulness is a key. A, a king, one in authority, needs individuals who are faithful to that work. It's clear here at church. It's clear here in your home. You need, um, a husband and wife need to be faithful to raise a home. Um, once they teach their children, they, they, those children need to be faithful and consistent in their behavior 
and wow, what a household you see when, when that happens. Um, I think about um, as men, uh, we, I talk a lot about the difference between um, how we respond then, uh, how a man would respond to how a woman would respond. And what, what does it mean for a man to love the Lord? Um, and, and what does it mean to, to serve God? Uh, I think about David who was king and before he was king, he was a warrior and he was, he was many things. Um, but he had a friend, he had a special friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And that was a strong friendship. And I know people try to take that, uh, to, to, they, they try to make that mean something that, that isn't true at all. That two men are, are linked together in, in, a, in, a, uh, in some illicit kind of way. But all, all that suggested in, between Jonathan and David was a faithfulness. They were both saying that, hey man, I got your back. I'll die for you. I'll, I'll cover you to the end. That's, that's, that's what they were saying. Faithfulness is that key to that kind of relationship. Um, it's something that, um, um, that Peter showed to, to Christ, even though he couldn't fulfill it in his flesh. He said, Lord, don't worry about me forsaking you. I'll die for you. Now, he meant that, and Christ showed him that, Okay, Peter, I need that from you, but not in the flesh. And in fact, Peter did die for Christ. History tells us that Peter himself was crucified, and he decided, I'm not worthy to be crucified for Christ, and so I'm going to be crucified. He said, please turn me upside down. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way my Lord was. My point is this. He was, in fact, faithful, and that type of faithfulness is key um, to, to our relationships. It's a love that brings faithfulness. If your love doesn't bring faithfulness, you have to question whether or not there's genuine true love. I can say I love my wife, but if I'm not faithful through thick and thin, I don't really have a, 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 a real love for her. We can say we love God, um, but if we don't serve him faithfully in the arena that he has set us in here in the church, we have to question how faithful are we. And so that, that faithfulness is, is key. I know I've taken up time, so I'm not going to go through all of them. But again, Proverbs is just something that challenges us. Um, what wisdom looks like, what integrity looks like, and that all should really point us to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the model for all of that. He was faithful. He is faithful. And the reason why we have hope is because we trust in his faithfulness to do what he promised to do. He promised that his payment on the cross would, would, would suffice for our eternal eternity. He promised that he wouldn't leave us or forsake us. He would come back again to take us with him, to be with him uh, where he is in heaven with his father right now. We count on that. Our whole lives are based on that right now. And we, we, do, we do well to count on him because he will never disappoint us. Good evening, saints. We're going to continue our meditation through Ezekiel. And now we're in, in Ezekiel 7. And I was thinking about this. Visions. 
why does the Lord give visions? And it's a good question, um, you know, and I don't know the whole answer. But one thing that I thought about is that God wants us to see the future or to see his will, right? And so there's something about the seeing of it that he doesn't just want us to read it. And so when you get to Ezekiel, part of Ezekiel is drawing you a picture of what the Lord's will looks like. And so he starts by drawing a picture of the Lord. He draws this, this crazy picture of God, but what does the picture show us? It shows us that in some ways God is like us. He has arms and legs and a head. He has a chest. He doesn't have, you know, 13 arms. He doesn't have that. He, he seems in some ways just like a bigger man. But in some ways, he is completely unlike us because he's accompanied by these creatures that if in any other way, you would think that they were aliens, right? If you didn't hear about them and you saw them in a sci-fi flick, they would seem to be aliens. But even though they're alien, they're composed of things that are familiar. They have eyes. They're animals that we know about. And they're carrying this big old chariot. And who's sitting on that chariot? Who calls Ezekiel to be a watchman? And so Ezekiel's role is to see God's judgment, but then it's also to portray the illustration for us. So we can see it too. Each prophet has his own unique calling. And Ezekiel's, especially for those of us with an artistic bent, Ezekiel is so interesting how he describes it. So, let's get into chapter 7. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, and you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity. But I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster, behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It is awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near, the day of tumult, and not a joyful shouting in the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways and I will punish you for all your abominations and my eye will not spare nor will I have pity I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes behold the day behold it comes your doom has come the rod has blossomed pride has budded violence has grown into a rod of wickedness none of them shall remain nor their abundance nor their wealth neither shall there be preeminence among them the time has come the day has arrived let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn for wrath is upon all the multitude for the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live for the vision concerns all the multitude it shall not turn back and because of his iniquity none can maintain his life they have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle. My wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without, pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword. And him who is in the city 
famine, and pestilence devour. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains, like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble, all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth and horror covers them. Shame is on all faces and baldness on all their heads. They cast their silver into the streets. Their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hungry, hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was a stumbling block of their iniquity. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. Therefore, I make it an unclean thing to them. And I will give it into the hand of foreigners for prey, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster upon disaster, rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest, and counsel from the elders. The king mourns, the prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way, I will do to them, and according to their judgments, I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. What's going on in this chapter? Well, Let's talk about it in a historical sense first. Judgment is happening, right? There's some main points. Number one, you will be punished, right? In that day, they were punished and the judgment did come. The second point is that the day was near and it was near. Ezekiel saw the end. Jeremiah lived through the end. Ezekiel lived through the end. The third point is it's the result of sin. Sin destroys. Sin leads to death. James says sin leads to death. It grows up and becomes death. Fourth point, nobody can escape. And the fifth point is that there is no relief from the judgment of God. And that's all true of them back then. But, but, biblical images say for a reason. What can you learn about the flood? Do we learn about the flood just so we can know what happened four to five thousand years ago? Or do we learn about the flood so that we know that one day God will judge the earth again? And when you read this section, can you hear some echoes? I hear echoes of Revelation 22 when it says he's coming soon. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I see him saying, well, he's going to return and he's going to be on a white horse and he's going to have a sword in his mouth. I have echoes of Revelations 18 and Revelation 17 when it says, the merchants mourned. And they said, oh my goodness, I sold all this stuff and where's my money? It's burned down with the city. You get a lot of Revelations vibe from this chapter. Judgments have something in common. They speak to the ultimate judgment. 
people were talking to Jesus one day, and they said, hey, Jesus, you think those people who fell, it was a tower that fell in that day. He said, Jesus, you think those people in those towers, they did some specific sin? He said, they didn't sin any more than anybody else. But you better repent, lest you also are destroyed. Small judgments are chances for us to repent from the larger judgment. Because ultimately, we must face God. All judgments may seem ruthless and relentless. And in some senses, they are. But judgment is a lesson to those who see it from afar. Older boy that I knew got somebody pregnant. And it always appeared to me that their life was ruined by that. And every older female got pregnant outside of marriage. And it seemed to me that their life was over. From my perspective, their life was over. Now I know you might say they got second chances and all that. But wisdom was telling me something. And it was telling me, don't live by your desires because that will destroy you. Learn a lot by looking at other people being destroyed. It is not a happy lesson, but it is a necessary lesson that we not look at the destruction of others and waste that opportunity to learn. That's why funerals are so important. Because when you go to a funeral, people can't help but see the fact that somebody died. And they realize, that's it. I'll never see this person alive again. Never. Whatever happened to them has happened, and now they're facing eternity, and that's it. And so... In our body, we buried somebody like Bonnie, and in our body, we buried a niece that committed suicide. We bury them all. We have different feelings when we see them in that casket. We ought to learn different lessons when we see different people who depart. It's coming a day. That you can't escape by living healthy. That you can't escape by living wise. It's coming a day when you will meet God face to face. And you will have to answer for what you've done. And the Bible doesn't always give it in theological detail. It gives us visions so that we might feel how that feels. All we could say after we saw what Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The lesson is not for everybody, but I hope the lesson is for somebody. Ezekiel 7. I know y'all saw. Who saw? Who saw what was repeated? 
Okay. It has come was definitely repeated. So that was I wasn't thinking about that, but it has come is definitely repeated. Definitely has come over and over and over. In other words, you might think it's far away. But just like your rear view mirror, objects in your mirror <laughs> may be closer than what they appear. What else is repeated? You shall know that I am the Lord. Listen. You can only be an atheist so long. At some point, you're going to people grow up from that before it's too late. In fact, we had an atheist post on our church's Facebook page. And he mocked us for what happened to our roof. And he said, you didn't see that? You know, it was a fake Facebook page profile he made. But you can only be that immature on this side of eternity. I marvel at somebody's stupidity to do that. To mock, even if you didn't believe in God, to mock people who suffer. That's just wicked. No matter how you parse it, that's just wicked. But then the mock, but God ain't trolling for real about you. Let's meditate on those thoughts today, amen? Cutting down a live broadcast here just a minute, please. All right. All right, we're moving to a prayer time now. And, uh, just remember, keep in prayer. Um, leadership team, we're planning the project for replacing all HVAC units. We've been continuing to get lots of support from all different places, a bunch of different churches. People mentioned they're in prayer for us, uh, monetary donations, all kinds of stuff. Um, God's, God's looking out for us. But please be in prayer that uh, we seek out the right fix for it and trust God to, to lead us in that. Um, all right, any prayer requests you want to mention to the group? Heidi takes down requests, puts them in the prayer email.